This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. We're here today with Fire Chief Brian Schaefer from the Spokane, Washington Fire Department. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks a lot. So, uh, Brian, you've been chief now in Spokane for 15 years, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, I've been a chief officer for that long. Uh, just a couple of years as fire chief. I was in number two position for a long time. Yeah, well, uh, outstanding. I'm, I know uh, we were talking a little bit uh, offline here about how about how things have changed over the years. I mean, the, uh, you start talking about Generation Z and the millennials and, uh, frankly, generation uh, numbers and letters that some folks haven't even heard about. How have things really changed uh, in your experience in, in the last 15 years you've been a chief officer? You know, I, I had the really uh, great opportunity uh, recently of hiring about 100 people through, uh, through a big change in our organization. Uh, so really, had, yeah, yeah, it's been great, actually. And, and I say that because I, I got to see all the generations together. We had baby boomers that were still on the job that were um, legacy pensioners that uh, retired and uh, opened up the door for Generation Z. And the millennials were in there as well, and, and my generation. So we were all we were all mixed in together, and that was uh, it was a laboratory for some crazy social scientist to sit and watch just how uh, how important or how important it is for leaders to be able to communicate effectively, because one size does not fit all with these different generations together. And everybody sees um, everybody sees a situation through a certain lens. So it's it was it was really a good opportunity. Yeah, it sounds like it. And you know, you you touched on uh, the different ways people see things. And, and one of the things that's uh, been especially problematic for a lot of chiefs and a lot of departments is not only how they see it, but how they learn, and and what makes those people tick. Can you talk a little bit about um, your experiences with? Exactly that. What are the differences in how people learn? How's that impacted your ability as a chief to, to, to get across to those people? Yeah, <laughs> if I knew the answer to that, I think I would be a hero for for business, especially. But you know, we um, we as an organization or as an industry, uh, we have uh, been very mechanical, very hierarchical, very uh, I hear it referred to pretty often paramilitary. And um, that reductionist thinking is really doesn't work with um, what we're seeing now. If you think about the people that we're hiring now, um, they were born with an iPhone in their hands. They had connection to so much information, so much more than, than I did or, or you did, P.S. not calling you old, but so much more. <laughs> You're talking about that tablet, and, and when, I was, when my perception of tablet um, is is definitely not your stone tablet that you were referring to either. That's what I meant. Right. By that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, um, I think it's really important for us to be able to look through uh, the eyes and understand the different generations that are out there and try to um, communicate directly to them and optimize the messaging so that the individuals are able to actually digest it. And for some people. Um, 
that may be uh, face-to-face communication. Uh, for others, it may be 140 characters or less. Um, for a fire chief, it's all the above. You have to be competent at all of those mediums, whether it's um, social media, um, writing uh, still uh, a good narrative or a good story, and and be able to sit down at a coffee table or at at the at the station table and engage in, in meaningful conversation and still be able to uh, do that in a humble and open open way. And um, I think that's, for the leaders that are coming up now, that's going to be a prime, um, prime challenge for some of the leadership that are, that are in the wings because um, go to any coffee shop, go to uh, any bus stop, go to any of my meetings that I go to. And if you watch the responses from people and if you watch their body language, at least from my experience, I bet 75% of the time people are looking at their phones or they're looking at their devices or they're looking at their, their watches and, and not just to look at the time, but to, and or respond to an Instagram, Twitter, or email. Um, times have really changed, and and we need to to remain relevant. We need to communicate in a way that successfully uh, reaches the people that we're supposed to be leading. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you really um, hit the nail on the head when you said that uh, this this generation of people that are being hired now. Um, you know, they are a great generation in and of their own. They were the first generation uh, that was born into a global life. Uh, from the time they uh, uh, came out of the hospital, the, the, the first words they spoke, the things that they learned, they've learned them in ways and communicated in ways as children that you and I um, and a lot of the uh, older generation, if you will, in the fire service, never had the opportunity uh, to use growing up. Um, everything from the single black and white TV that I recall to, uh, you know, the only rule was uh, be home before the, the streetlights come on, and that's how you told what time it was. There just wasn't the global uh, connectivity that these folks have. And, again, you, you're spot on with the discussion about the leaders uh, needing to be able to adapt to what all those different mediums are now and, and the ability to, to learn, which takes me to the mentorship uh, discussion. You know, you've, um, you've, you've had a good tenure in, as a chief officer. And um, as we talk about bringing these people up, can you talk a little bit about uh, what you do to mentor officers underneath of you? I, I know you had uh, uh, Trish Wolford uh, was working for you before she went off uh, to um, Anne Arundel County to take on the leadership role in Anne Arundel County, Maryland. Um, from a mentorship perspective, can you talk about what you do and what you can recommend to other up-and-coming chiefs uh, to be able to motivate that next-level person to be those next leaders? Uh, uh, that's a tough one. I, you know, I, I think. A leader really, um, I, the way you put it, I, I really worked for Tricia, and um, that was an opportunity to bring her into our organization. 
Um, I learned so much from her and I learned a, a lot from you and from all the people that uh, I know and collaborate with across the country. And I really think the, uh, oh, that's a Mark Twain quote. I'm sure you remember it, but like the, the two, more, two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day you find out why. I just had, <clears throat> excuse me, I had the opportunity when I was an infant to figure out why. And at that, at that point when I was an infant, I, I made the uh, realization that I wanted to be a fire chief. And I've had, um, un, I mean, so many mentors, I, I can't even tell you how many, but a lot of people influence me for bad and, and really for good, a lot sure. for bad. I mean, uh, there were a lot of contributions to uh, how not to do things uh, along the way. And I really figured out several years ago that um, what I'm here to do and in this opportunity that I have right now is to bring leaders along with me, share as much as I possibly can about um, my experience, how things have worked out for me, what's not worked, a heavy amount of what's not worked, and uh, be there to support them as they as they find their way to determine their own why, um, and that that's worked out extremely well. You know, I just um, I had uh, uh, a deputy fire chief just a couple weeks ago that was fortunate enough to get a fire chief's position in Olympia, Washington. Mark John is is his name, and he came to the Spokane Fire Department a couple years ago, and and uh, it's it's been an amazing. Uh, amazing opportunity to be able to work with people and see them move on to lead other organizations. And I know you've been through it as well. Um, it, it says a lot about the organization, the the program, and uh, most importantly, it's a it's a contribution or an extension of a philosophy that um, puts in in my in my case it it puts people's health first and really reinforces the uh, pathway to improving and, and really pushing the limit in uh, what, what people's expectations are in the fire department. And I'm, I'm seeing that already from, from both of those chiefs that, that went on from here and, and others also that have, that have went to other organizations prior. They're just doing amazing things, and, and that's my why. That's, that's why I think I'm here, and that's my contribution to those generations that are coming up behind me is being able to bring people in, uh, introduce them to the culture, uh, the mindset, and, and seeing them do great things out in the field. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you see those people that you've mentored, when you see them thrive, uh, the, the self-satisfaction you're able to, uh, to get out of that is, is, is food for the soul. Uh, of the chiefs that um, continues to build a philosophy of professionalism, and, and I appreciate that uh, that out of you. So uh, we talked. You, you talked a little bit there about uh, some of the programs other people are doing, and the, some of the great things that that those folks that have left you are doing. How about some of the great things that you're doing there in Spokane? Um, we we talked a little bit uh, offline about the uh, alternative response. Uh, uh, programs that you have going on there with social workers. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that and how is that making a difference for Spokane. So a good quote from uh, Henry Ford is if uh, if he'd asked customers 
back when he first designing cars, what they really wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And I think the relationship with the fire service is the same thing. And for the good times, and you remember the good times, we just added more companies. We added company after company after company. We took on Hazmat. We took on Tech Rescue. We built big fire stations, some uh, right next to each other's uh, neighboring jurisdictions. Didn't really think about building a system. We thought about our own little silo. And uh, the reality is um, those days are over completely. In my mind, they're over. And at the same time that uh, we're realizing um, a higher level of accountability to taxpayers, and I think nationwide, um, we're also living in a landscape uh, of expanding risk. Risk is changing for us. So we have to be able to adapt to that. And what we've done is without uh, increasing our budget or increasing the cost of the taxpayer, we've relocated uh, redistributed assets to focus more at our uh, higher need population, our most vulnerable population. So we have uh, a behavioral health unit that is a day unit that all they do is proactively and uh, uh, also respond to incidents involving behavioral health, whether it's suicide attempts or uh, general site calls or assisting the police department with uh, uh, a challenging person that may have a medical problem or may be a mental health problem. We staff a paramedic with a mental health professional through a cooperative agreement to be able to take those calls out of the system. And when you're looking at a high volume system with extremely high unit hour utilization, any hour that you can pluck out of the system that doesn't require a a BRT or big ride truck in my case, uh, the better we have in terms of performance and outcome for those life-threatening calls. So we also staff alternative response units with two firefighters just to handle that low acuity volume, which is about 30% of our volume on a daily basis. So between the behavioral health unit and the alternative health units, there are three of those in our system, they're pretty well taking care of close to 40% of our incident volume during the day for those low acuity calls, the rest of those incidents uh, are being handled by the BRT when you actually need four people. You need a paramedic that's got the capability of, you know, returning sp spontaneous circulation and saving people's lives. Um, if we continue to do the same thing over and over and over, we would probably have 10 new uh, fire stations in, in our jurisdiction, but the community simply can't afford that. And we have to continuously look inside at what are some alternatives to reaching better outcomes. Because that's what, that's what we need to be focused on. We need to be focused on the outcomes. That's where I kind of get sideways with um, uh, the, the people that only look at response times. Well, response times are great. And I think there's a, and not, I don't think, I know, there's a scientific um, proven structure for, we'll, we'll say for a residential fire, that proves that the time matters. There's, because there's an outcome. You can find the fire to the room of origin. Let's, let's focus on that. Let's focus on, on the return of spontaneous circulation or the uh, uh, door to balloon time and a person walking out of the hospital from the CVA.
um, somebody's improvement in health. So we've got those social determinants of health that we built into our social work program. And we have 16 social workers that are out in the community that work for the fire department that are tied into uh, our integrated health system. So our EMS division, our alternative programs, and uh, the social programs. And they're out trying to tie all this together and proactively eliminating that risk and improving people's lives in the uh, in response to the activities that they're that they're out there doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like an uh, an amazing uh, program. Another twist, if you will, on mobile integrated health, as uh, you know, we started out calling it community paramedicine, and kind of uh, it has morphed over the years into mobile integrated health, and then into these other behavioral health um, areas with with different social worker programs. It sounds like an amazing program that's uh, going to pay dividends, if not already, going to pay dividends for both. Uh, the community and the department. So the uh, one thing you mentioned on funding there uh, is is something that I know chiefs struggle with all over the country. Uh, have you had any opportunity to uh, utilize grant funding or any alternative funding methods to help you get these programs up and running? Well, somebody talked uh, a long time ago about capacity, you know, and capacity and capability have a price. What we used to do is pay the price or lower our expectations. It's just the way it. That's just the way it worked. It was government, right. and when that ran out, I think we we had to look at alternative uh, methods, and and we brought our staffs together, and um, and we looked at each other. The really good leaders uh, not only looked at each other, but they stepped back and they said, you know, who else is doing this work? Um, right. Where can we partner? So once you open that, open up that silo, drop it and look horizontally. You know you've got you've got uh, hospital systems that that have a vested interest in reducing readmission and and actually appropriate level of care for certain ailments. So they're they're a really good partner. You've got insurance companies that want to reduce their risk and have a healthier population. They're a great partner. For us, we've got Frontier Behavioral Health, which is an RSN that. Is focused on mental health in our community. They're a great partner, and so we started. We started bringing all those people to the table. It initially started as a hotspotters program where we brought all the leaders together, identified a high volume uh, uh, cohort, people that used EMS services a lot, um, and we started coalescing around that problem that's been admired for the past 20 years. Well, now we're going to do something about it, and we established these relationships, and then we said, you know. What could we, how could we open up the door to other possibilities? That's how we started our uh, behavioral health program. That's a partnership with, um, with Sacred Heart Hospital and uh, Foundation. That, that's how that is being paid for through the Frontier Behavioral Health. We've got uh, our CARES program, which is a 16 social workers. Uh, that's a partnership with Eastern Washington University who, who needed a clinical site. We've got more than enough clinical experiences that is an extremely diverse uh, opportunity for somebody going through their MSW program to uh, get. That, that evolution has produced some great outcomes that, um, that we monitor on a quarterly basis and, and we're able to make tweaks based on, um, based on the science. And that's, that's kind of, um, and you can, you can keep going on and on and on through our integrated health programs 
all the way to the data exchange and some of the other things that we're doing. But it all comes back to people feeling comfortable to drop the patches and the badges and the bugles at the door and walk in and be a partner. That's incredibly, incredibly important. And then also being able to uh, realize that successful discovery of something that didn't work is a success. You know, when, when you make mistakes, that's an opportunity to learn. So we're constantly making changes and tweaks based on, uh, based on outcomes and based on, based on feedback from patients or clients, based on mistakes or errors that are occurring. We're looking at it. We're reviewing it. We're walking through an organized process and, and making those changes and trying it again and not beating each, up, each other up over, uh, over errors or, or when things don't go exactly as planned. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, you know the evidence-based uh, results. I mean, it, it's it's amazing uh, to see the changes uh, in kind of how we started uh, this this conversation was on the changes in the fire service and in the the profession that we're in over the year uh, over the years. And to think uh, ten maybe ten years ago, the two fire chiefs would be on the phone having a discussion about social worker programs in their fire departments. Uh, you would have thought uh, you were crazy. So looking across, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the, the things I wanted to kind of uh, drive home to people as we as we close this session out is uh, you've, you've said it several times, and I, you're, you're singing my song when you talk about uh, reaching across silos and uh, dropping silos and making sure that people uh, get out and talk to their neighboring, uh, not only their neighboring departments, but their allied agencies and the, the different organizations that they run with or deal with every day, but have historically looked at with a wary eye. Uh, being able to drop those uh, silos and get out there and uh, interact with the public to make change uh, is phenomenal. And I applaud you, uh, Brian, and I applaud the Spokane Fire Department and all the folks that uh, work with you for the work you're doing in, in that area. Is there anything else that uh, you think you want to cover in, in this uh, call with us today? You know, uh, no, I think it's just an opportunity to, uh, you know, start engaging some conversations at the, at the board table or the boardroom table or the kitchen table. It doesn't really matter. There's some good yeah. food for thought for chiefs that are coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I appreciate it, Brian. I, We've been with, uh, today, we've been with uh, Brian Schaefer, Chief of the Spokane, Washington Fire Department. Brian, I appreciate you spending time with us today. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks a lot.